Our scripture this morning comes from Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. If you're using the Bibles in the benches, it's found on page 1,588. 1,588. And we will just read from uh, verse 26 through verse uh, 45. And we'll stop where Mary's song uh, picks up. This is God's holy word. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was, uh, was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby le- leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. So far the reading of God's holy word. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ and friends, Luke's gospel is written in order that you will become certain that the Christian faith is true. Our faith, your faith, the Christian faith, is verifiable by the things that have happened in history. Luke, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, himself investigated these events and wrote them down so that you would know today, first, that what he writes in here actually happened, and secondly, what they mean, what the significance is of that which actually happened in our world. And last week, we saw that Jesus did not bring along a new religion when he was born into the world, but he came in fulfillment of the Old Testament religion. Jesus is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was not some independent, radical, ego-driven, religious innovator who was starting his own sect, but his ministry was perfectly in line with the Old Testament religion. And in fact, he himself came in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. We saw that last time. And what we are going to see this morning is what Elizabeth and Mary and Zechariah, and even John, who was a baby, saw and experienced. 
uh, we are going to see that this Jesus was no ordinary prophet, priest, or king. Certainly he was no ordinary Jewish boy. But Jesus was in fact the Lord himself, the Son of God coming down from heaven to dwell among his people and to redeem them. Uh, Jesus came to have mercy on all who had been waiting for him. And this same glorious Jesus is the same one who offers you his mercy and his comfort uh, today. Uh, so Jesus is no ordinary prophet, priest, or king. He's certainly no ordinary Jewish boy. But he is, in fact, the Lord himself, the Son of God, coming down from heaven to dwell among his people and to redeem them, uh, to comfort them, and to comfort you uh, this morning. And uh, we're going to see this in a couple of ways. Uh, the first way that Luke uh, points this out to us is uh, seen in the fact that the story of Jesus' conception uh, by the Holy Spirit to the Virgin Mary, the story of Jesus' miraculous conception is even more magnificent than the miraculous conception of John. The story of Jesus' miraculous conception is even more magnificent than the story we just read about John being miraculously uh, conceived. No doubt you had noticed when we read the story this morning that the story of John being conceived and the story of Jesus being conceived have a nice uh, parallel structure. I'll tell you what I mean by that. Look at verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. And then you look at verses 26 and 27. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pled to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. You see the introductions. They're very similar, right? And then look at verse, uh, verses 12 and 13. When Zechariah saw the angel after the announcement, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. And then if you look in verses 29 and 30, a very similar thing happens. After the announcement is made, or the initial announcement, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. So you see these stories, the story of John being conceived and the story of Jesus being conceived, have a nice parallel structure. Things happen in a certain order. And this is deliberate by the writer of the gospel. This is Luke laying out the story in a particular way. And you are supposed to compare these stories, line them up side by side, and see if anything stands out. You can see what is the same, but you're also supposed to ask what is different. And there's a few things. Uh, that stand out when you lay these stories side by side. The first thing is that uh, in the conception of Jesus, it's even more unexpected and more impossible than the conception of John. Uh, the conception of Jesus is more exceptional, it's more unlikely, it's more unexpected than the one of John. I mean, John's parents were described as what? Well advanced in years and barren, right? Uh, the idea with uh, John and his, uh, with Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth is that they were actively uh, seeking to have a child, but they were unable to do so because of a physical condition uh, that Elizabeth had. And uh, you noticed also that that family, Elizabeth and Zechariah, were of a strong priestly background. Um, Zechariah himself was a priest in the division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth, it's mentioned, on purpose, that she was a descendant of Aaron. 
Now, if they could get over their physical obstacle, it wouldn't be that much of a surprise, would it, uh, that the Lord would give to them someone who would be great in the eyes of the Lord, coming from such strong priestly bloodstock, someone who would be used by the Lord in powerful ways. Uh, compare that to uh, the potential parents of the Lord Jesus, Joseph and Mary. Now, it's not like in their case, uh, they were a married couple who had been trying for years and years and who were uh, physically together in the normal way of conceiving a child. Uh, but you understand that they were merely betrothed. They weren't even married. And, of course, then Mary was still a virgin. Uh, the way it went in those days is that instead of a, a marriage being the first public celebration where vows were taken, it was like an engagement or a betrothal. Uh, this was done in front of uh, many witnesses, and oftentimes after that was done, there would be about a year lapse before Mary or the uh, wife would go home to her husband and they'd be uh, officially married in the way we think of it today, when they would have relations and uh, be trying to bring forth children. Uh, yes, it's impossible for someone who is barren and well advanced in years to have a child. But it's even more outrageous to think that someone who has no relations with a man would be able to conceive, right? And it is more outrageous considering that we hear of Mary in the town of Nazareth. Nazareth in Galilee. This place, this obscure, nondescript town, which isn't even mentioned in the Old Testament, it's not mentioned in any of the histories that have been passed down to us like Josephus. It's not even mentioned by any of the rabbis in their writings about the Old Testament. This nondescript town in Nazareth to a virgin is supposed to be given by God this great child. Uh, these stories are different in that it is more unexpected, more unlikely that God will send someone who will be powerful to this virgin in Nazareth, and yet he does. Uh, there's another a difference that highlights the greatness of this conception of the Lord Jesus over against John's, and that is that we see it's accompanied by a more magnificent announcement uh, by the angel. Uh, of course, when he comes to Zechariah in the temple, uh, Zechariah is afraid and he gets struck mute, uh, but he tells him, uh, basically, we, I know you've been praying for this for a long time and now your prayers are answered. Uh, but what does he say when he comes uh, to Mary? Uh, the first thing he says is what? Uh, Greetings, you who are highly favored, uh, the Lord is with you. Now we need to make the point uh, that we ought to be sure to understand what the angel means when he says to Mary that she's highly favored. A lot of people can make a mess of this and read a lot more into it uh, than is actually there. Uh, but it means what it obviously means, uh, that Mary is favored. Why? Because the Lord has chosen uh, to bear the Lord Jesus Christ uh, through her. Uh, that's what it means that she's favored. It's not talking about Mary being favored because of some pre-existing condition. In other words, God was looking around and he saw the one that was the good girl and he was going to take the good girl and then he was going to decide that she would be deserving of having the Lord Jesus. Now, uh, very likely Mary was a good Jewish girl. Uh, she had true faith in the Messiah that was to come. She was looking forward to his coming. Uh, but it wasn't anything special about her 
that had the Lord uh, decide to bring the Lord Jesus into her life. It was the fact that uh, the Lord did decide to come through her that she was called uh, favored, and I just wanted to mention that. But it's important to notice that last expression in verse 28. The angel goes to her and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Now, we use that expression a lot today. Uh, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. And uh, that's fine. But it's important to understand uh, how Mary would have heard this expression, the Lord is with you. It was very common in the Old Testament that the expression, the Lord is with you, was not just used uh, commonly among the people, but it was used in a military context. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. In Judges chapter 6, uh, verse 12, the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. He says, the Lord is with you, the mighty warrior. Uh, but Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. When David was trying to persuade Saul that he ought to go out and fight Goliath, uh, Saul eventually says to David in 1 Samuel 17, Go, and the Lord be with you. The Lord be with you. And there are other examples in the Old Testament where this expression, this idea of the Lord being with you, is not just, you know, let the Lord sort of be on your side and I hope things work out well for you in your day-to-day -day life. But this blessing, this encouragement is given in the context of great military battles where the Lord is waging war against His enemies and empowering His people many times when they're facing uh, great odds uh, to win in these great redemptive events. When Goliath is slain, that's a huge thing for the people of Israel. It's symbolic of the Lord's power over any earthly powers. When Gideon is told that the Lord is with you, the mighty warrior, uh, even though you are weak, Gideon, and your family is weak, you will be able to win. And so when the angel says to Mary, the Lord is with you, uh, she's probably wondering, what could that mean? Uh, it doesn't make sense that an angel of the Lord would appear to this lady, this uh, virgin who is betrothed in the nondescript town of Nazareth, who is really having nothing to do with fighting any battles for the Lord, and saying to her, in private, the Lord be with you. Giving to her a, a battle call. Something that's only used for the armies of Israel in the Old Testament. Uh, that's probably why she wondered at his words. Wondered, verse 29 says, at what kind of greeting this might be. It's not just, Mary, you're blessed and the Lord is with you. He loves you. It's Mary, I am giving you a military greeting. The Lord is with you and he's going to do something mighty through you. Which would be kind of strange uh, to hear that from God, wouldn't it? Uh, you see, there was nothing like that uh, said to Elizabeth or to Zechariah in the announcement uh, by the angel that John would be conceived, the announcement that the angel gives to Mary about Jesus being conceived is much greater, is signifying that something much more significant than John being born is going to happen through you, Mary. Also, we see uh, that this conception of Jesus is even more magnificent than the conception of John because of the different response that comes from Zechariah to the announcement and that comes from Mary uh, to the announcement. Uh, 
one thing to notice is that in the first place, the responses that they both give to the announcement are not that different, right? We read those already. Uh, we saw that uh, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting uh, this would be. Verse 34, you see, she says, how is this going to happen? How will this be since I am a virgin? Uh, she's asking the same question that Zechariah had asked. Zechariah wanted to know, it, it doesn't seem like it's possible. How can, this is verse 18. How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. And you know he's also thinking, look, we've been trying for all of our life and uh, nothing. So both of them show this uh, sort of ignorance of how this is going to happen, and you get the sense that there's also a bit of unbelief, because how does the Lord respond to Zechariah? He says, look, I'm, or how does the angel respond to Zechariah? He says, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you, and now you will be silent and not able to speak. I am striking you mute. I am striking you dumb so that you will not speak because of your unbelief. If the Lord sends me, Gabriel, to announce to you that something's going to happen, you should get it. And because you didn't get it, I'm going to make you silent until this happens. Now what happens with Mary? In verse 34, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now does uh, Gabriel respond and say, you are going to be mute, and I am going to strike you dumb until it happens, so that you will learn that the Lord God Almighty's word is true and nothing is impossible with him. No, actually, he gives her a little bit of an explanation. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And then verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. Instead of rebuking publicly Mary... Uh, Gabriel turns the conception of John into a sign to her that she is going to conceive. John's conception uh, becomes a real backseat at this point to Jesus being conceived. It's used of a sign now, pointing forward to something greater, which is the conception of the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself is more magnificent. Mary recognizes this, and it turns out to her to be a sign of the blessings that Jesus is bringing to his people. Uh, Mary ends up saying, I am the Lord's servant, verse 38. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. You see, God was gracious to Mary through the angel Gabriel, Gabriel and granted her true faith by showing her the sign that Elizabeth would be pregnant. Something you know, Mary, that was not happening. But that is going to be proof that you are going to conceive. And so Mary says, may it, be to, uh, may it be to me as you have said. And when Mary says, may it be to me as you have said, what you see happening there is that she's been given true faith in the Lord Jesus who will grow in her womb. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. That sounds like Abraham. Abraham, who didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. You see, God dramatically gives Mary true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who will develop in her womb, so that she can say, may it be to me as you have said. She is fully persuaded that God had the power to do what is promised, to show 
that what was happening with Jesus being conceived is much greater than John being conceived. It is more magnificent. Though Zechariah, with the same kind of heart initially, gets rebuked, Mary receives true faith and gives expression to that in one of the most beautiful songs ever uh, recorded in the Scripture. Uh, Jesus is no ordinary prophet, priest, or king, you see. He is the glorious Lord of Israel who has come to save His people, come to dwell with them. And the announcement of His birth is even more magnificent uh, than the announcement of uh, John the baptizer's birth. And uh, one other thing quickly that we're going uh, to notice this morning is that Jesus is uh, shown to be much greater than John. He's shown to be the glorious God of Israel in the description that the angel gives to Mary about who he will be. Again, you want to compare uh, the description of John the baptizer to Jesus in this story. Uh, Luke would have you remember that he called Uh, that the angel Gabriel said this about John, that John will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. We talked last week about how that was a very good thing and John was thought of uh, very highly, obviously, by the Lord. He was the greatest of the prophets that had ever come all throughout the Old Testament period. He uh, was the pinnacle of the Old Testament religion before Jesus Uh, brought in the new covenant, right? And those were very good words about him. Great in the sight of the Lord, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. But if you compare those words to how Jesus is described, there is no comparison. Uh, Verse 32, the Lord God will give Jesus the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. Jesus is going to be the one that is the fulfillment of the promise that was given to David. When your days are over, David, and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your seed to succeed you. And he will come from your own body. He will be from your line. And I will establish his kingdom. And he is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That is, your son, the one in whom this is finally fulfilled, will build the temple in which I will dwell eternally. Not this earthly temple in Palestine. Uh, but the temple of all of God's people, of Jews and Gentiles knit together in in whom Jesus Christ dwells forever and ever. This Jesus is going to sit on the throne of his father David building that temple. This Jesus is going to be the fulfillment of Daniel 7, 13. In my vision, I looked at night, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into His presence. And He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Luke 1.33, His kingdom will never end. This is not merely someone who's great in the sight of the Lord. This is not merely someone who is going to come before the Lord to prepare the way for Him. This is the Lord who is given the kingdom that will never be destroyed. Isaiah 9, 6, To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon His shoulders, and He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of His government and peace, 
There will be no end, and he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This, says Gabriel to Mary, this is going to be your child. This is not just the one who is going to prepare the way for him. Verse 32, he will be called great and will be called son of the most high. Verse 35, the holy one to be born of you will be called the son of God. Son of the most high, son of God. This is not the one preparing the way. This is not a prophet, priest, or king in the ordinary sense. This is not just a good Jewish religious boy, a good teacher, a good rabbi. This is the Lord God of Israel, the Son of the Most High, the Son of God come to man. And uh, without much time to explain what that title would have meant uh, when they heard it, we'll have to do that next week. Uh, let's just remember one of the things that that means. That Jesus is called Son of the Most High, the Son of God. Exodus 4.22 says, uh, The Lord tells Moses to say to Pharaoh, this is what God says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Right? The Lord, in the history of the nation of Israel, has referred to her as his firstborn son. He has referred to that nation of Israelites, those people collectively, as his son. A son uh, of which he demanded uh, obedience to his law. And that son, if they obeyed him, would be blessed. But that son, if they disobeyed him, would be cursed, right? And that Israel, that son, was disobedient uh, like we all are, and was cut off. Uh, but you see, when Jesus is called the Son of God, He is the one who comes and has the relationship to the Father where if He obeys Him, He will be blessed, but if He disobeys Him, He will be cursed, and all of His descendants in His train. And what did this Son of God do, unlike the Old Testament nation of Israel? This Son of God was obedient. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased says the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this Son of God, this Son of the Most High, this Son of God, Mary, the one that's coming from you is the one who's going to obey the law of God for you. The one who is going to be uh, perfectly obedient in his thoughts and his words and his actions to the Father. Unlike the Old Testament Son, unlike all of us who are the sons of God today. Uh, this Son who was sent to deliver you, this is your Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why uh, John leaped in the womb. This is why the Spirit prompted this infant who had never met the Lord Jesus, when he came even near to him, that he would leap. He was filled with joy that the Savior of the world has come. And you see in the story that Zechariah and Mary and Elizabeth and John, of course, are all filled with joy that Jesus has arrived, that he has come to, or that he will arrive, that Jesus has come to comfort his people, and he comforts us also this morning. Uh, this is your Savior. And to that, all God's people said, amen. Let's pray.
Father, the birth of John the Baptizer, the conception of John the Baptizer was miraculous and magnificent, but the conception of the Lord Jesus is even more magnificent, is more unlikely, and it is accompanied with greater promises. And the titles which will be, be bestowed on him, Jesus, the one who saves us from our sins, the Son of the Most High, the one who obeys for us, the Lord of glory, wonderful counselor, mighty God, Prince of Peace, everlasting Father. Uh, this is our Savior by your grace, and we thank you for him. Uh, would you uh, stir up in our, in our hearts, uh, rejoicing that he has been uh, so faithful for us, and would we uh, more and more worship him in truth and live lives of gratitude that are pleasing uh, to him. For we pray in his name alone. Amen. Our song is number 400.